Today on episode 3, I speak with another friend of mine, Samantha. She's a mother to a free-spirited seven-year-old boy whose timing of conception adds to the incredible twist this story of hers takes. Sam's first love was with a narcissist and she's about to share with you exactly how that unfolded. Hi Sammy. Hi. Thank you for being here, sharing cups of tea and um, doing what we do best, having a chat and yeah, really appreciate you being here, having the courage to be here and share your story today. Thank you for it not being video recorded. <laughs> My pleasure. I appreciate that so much. Okay, let's dive in. Yeah. So can you paint a picture for me uh, of what was going on for you in your life? when you met this person that you had your first serious relationship with? It was my first serious relationship. I was a spring chicken of 27. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I was your typical Sydney single girl, um, living the dream, lots of partying, lots of fun. Uh, Yeah, no relationships, very non-committal, just fun stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And... So I wasn't looking for anything serious. Um, But to just get real deep on you straight away. Get into it. Um, But just before I met him, I had just been through breast cancer. And so at the time I was 26 and I had, uh, when was it? I was diagnosed in the June when I was 26 and I met him the following May. So I had been through all my surgeries, all my treatment, all that sort of jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met him literally as I was just coming out of that. So I was just um, returning to kind of everyday life and going back out again and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But when I say returning back to life, like I went out my whole treatment you know I think I've told you before Mm -hmm. most people pick up a green smoothie bloody cookbook or some shit when they're (laughs) sick on how to heal themselves and I went the complete opposite way so I was um very rebellious was that in your nature oh yeah for sure (laughs) you've met my child (laughs) yeah it's a it's a it's a family trait um (laughs) quite a strong one um no so yeah that is in my nature but that is how I dealt with being sick I was Mm, kind of ashamed I was like I didn't want anyone to know it was kind of like a dirty little secret girlfriends knew but we'd still go out on the lash and still hook up or you know have all-nighters and just not tell anyone what was going on because I'm like if anyone finds out I'm a fucking cancer patient like no one's gonna go near me like Mm -hmm. my you know I didn't want my life to change Mm -hmm. Mm. so when I met him it was where did you meet Oh, we met at the stub. Did you ever go to the establishment in the city? Yes, yes, I did. I've never heard of it called the stub. Oh, really? That was a Thursday night special. <laughs> My friend worked there and there was there was an opening of a bar underneath there. And um, he was like, yeah, basically just met him in a bar opening. And he was just, he's such a babe, like such a honey. And he was the bad boy, right? So he was... Beard, tattoos, Rhoda Harley, like he was the bad boy, the sexiest bad boy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was into at the time. I needed bad because I was just, I wanted to just feel everything. So when you met him, what was it? Was it electric? Did it mm-hmm. feel instant? 
did it feel like an instant connection? Was it um, definitely? And... I didn't even know what connection was, right? Like I, mm. I didn't even know myself at the time. Like 27, I was a lost puppy. Like I just left. I'd been working in marketing, super burnt out. Um, I had gone to design school, wanted to pursue like a creative venture. So I didn't even know what I wanted, who I was, where I was going. I was a very late bloomer. I was very immature. Mm. I didn't do all that shit in my teens. 20s mm. was all over the shop. Were you looking for a relationship? God, no. Yeah. No way. Like 27, God, I wish I did find a relationship then instead of now um 10 years later but no I was not looking for a relationship I was just I would have loved love for sure like but Mm. it was the dating scene in Sydney like we had a huge bunch of girlfriends we were all had good jobs we all earned good money we all lived out in the east in the city we went out six nights out of the week we would have dates every night of the week. Wow, Sam, for the person that I know you to be now, <laughs> I actually can't imagine this. But... Uh, if my partner yeah. listens to this, he'll be like, bullshit. <laughs> you Who, you're such a lot. No, you didn't. <laughs> you that's drink tea and go to bed at 7pm. Yeah. Mm, after these experiences, often that's a way we become slightly more introverted and, yeah. and um, tend to enjoy home life yeah. a little more. Interesting. So, so tell me, how long were you in relationship with him for in all up? And, and then start to tell me a little bit about the details of how it unfolded. So probably three years all up, on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a pattern of we would break up. I think we were together for two months and then broke up. And then from there, for literally three years, that was the pattern of mm-hmm. break up together okay. for two months, break up together for a couple of weeks, together for a night, break up, you know, just up and down, up and down, up and down. But um, started um, like super duper fun. And um, again, I thought it was casual. And when he actually asked me out to go for dinner, I was like, oh. What? <laughs> like a date? Weird. Yeah. Like I didn't. When I said we dated, we didn't date. We just, you know, you'd meet a dude at a bar for a drink, and you know, like it was all mm. just super casual. Fun. Yeah. But someone like I'd really love to take you out for dinner. I was like, oh, ew. Like I wasn't really Thinking into about that. That's yeah. a level of relationship. No. And anyone that did show that kind of interest was not my type. I was not into it. But to have this dude that was really rock and roll who was, you know, wild and punk rock and just this, like, it's like a fucking rock star type thing. Mm-hmm. For him to be like, I want to take you out for dinner, I was like, shit. Like, that is someone that I would be in a relationship with because you just, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something about him that just, you are just infatuated with straight away. He just has this way with people. He walks into a room and just gets the attention of everyone. Everyone mm-hmm. turns their head to look at him. Like, he's just... He has that presence. In terms of looks or in terms of and or personality? Was he charming and lovable and the life of the party and super fun? Or did he have a potential arrogance about him that made him attractive? Or It was... He wasn't charming because he was extremely immature. It was very... So I didn't usually date people my own age, so that's why, to me, it was purely just 
potty, cool, you know. Um, but so he didn't have that charm. It was more like he was extremely good looking, had a really strong sense of style and was loud, life of the party, that kind of extrovert type thing. Was he your age? Yeah. 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 Which was the first. And it was actually really nice. It was nice to be able to like, oh, I can actually have fun instead of dating people that are a bit older and, you know, you go for nice dinners or whatever, but you don't get to like run around and mm. be silly and whatnot. But um, yeah, so the first two months were, um, well, in hindsight, was a big old love bomb, yeah. which at the time I had no idea what one was, you know, like I had no idea. I'd never had someone write me love notes, leave flowers at my door. A short man in a suit that was 20 years older than me that was doing it, Mm -hmm. you'd just be like, you know, that kind of like desperate acts of love. But because Mm -hmm. it's from someone that you're like wildly attractive to, he was a cool guy it was just like, a lot of shit, I, like, this is it. I'm finding my person at 27. That's, mm. okay, that's that's the age. That's what we're doing here. Um, but, yeah, presents, not, like, big presents, like, thoughtful shit, like, bringing you home, like, dropping you a box of macaroons to work or something, you know, just yeah. cute cute stuff like that. Um, Making sure he was top of mind and, and your yeah. number one. That's yeah. exactly it. Like yeah. buying me, like I don't like buying me tickets to gigs. So going to lots of gigs, you know, buying me t-shirts, buying you know, just mm. lots of things. Did you ever get attention. a sense that there was anyone else that he may be doing that with at the time, or did you feel like you were his number one? Actually, when I went back there um, to his place for the first time, uh, there was a pair of red lacy panties on the floor and I remember just picking them up and throwing them laughing like just thinking because again like I didn't think I'd be going to a relationship you with weren't thinking person. it's super serious and no you weren't really sure that no and for those first few months like I thought I was you know the only person like oh you did so you oh did. yeah I had no I now I look back and I'm like oh you dickhead like as Eve, <laughs> that was me on Wednesday, someone on Thursday. Is that what you thought in hindsight? Oh, yeah. With hindsight, yeah. Oh, okay. As it unfolded, you got to mm-hmm. obviously a sense within relationship and then afterwards you certainly start, all these things start to drop in. Yeah. So, so at the two-month mark, what happened? Was there withdraw- uh, withdrawal or was there going cold, disappearing? What was the first sort of... It was... Change, shift. It was me noticing... So we drank a lot together. So we it was we were out most nights of the week and, you know, really in this, like, bar scene where he lived, I guess after a couple of months, it's like you'd want to start scaling back a bit, right? Like mm-hmm. not going out all the time or whatever. Um, and it was around about then it was... His behaviour didn't change. It was me kind of pulling back going oh, shit, like, his drinking is super excessive. It was more kind of kind of noticing how excessive his behaviours were. So he had a real problem with money. Um, so straight away, I didn't realise, but straight away, how much money I was giving him each week because we would just... He'd get paid on a Friday and by Sunday he'd have no money left for the week. Right. So it would be... 
shit, I've got no food for work for the week or whatever, and it'd be like, oh, let's go to Coles and I'll, like, fill up your trolley. And But it just, it took me two months to realise. You were starting to see that pattern of behaviour mm. that was involving money. Yes, so it was, he was blowing his money literally from Friday to Sunday and then have nothing for the week and it would be falling back on his parents, asking for money and borrowing money and, you know, inviting me over for dinner, but, like, he had no money to order dinner. So I'd be like, oh, okay, like, I'll order pizza and... Mm. But it was never like, hey, can I have a loan or anything? It was just done... Little bits and pieces. Little bit, little bit. bit. Yeah, I Mm. absolutely relate to that. And then it was the... um, the drinking so it was all pretty above board and then I think um I was house I think it was just when I saw really bad drinking behavior and I think it was um he like pissed inside or something like you know just stood up on the couch and just started peeing directly onto the floor in the living room type thing You know, he had everything. He had, like, a cool dog. He had a cool car. He had the best Mm. clothes, like... Mm. And it was just all a facade and just well beyond his means and, you know, all the rest. But it was really the the behaviours with the money, like, the money spending and the drinking that started coming out. And I think when I kind of tried to pull him up on it, um, that's when I saw him snap and get angry. Mm. Um... And I was scared enough to ring my parents and, like, by this stage he told me he loved me. I'd never had a dude tell me he loved me before. Yeah, so would this have been around the three-month mark, still at this kind of two-month mark? He told you he loved you and you were already alarmed enough to start to call your folks and say something's not right here. Yeah, I, I called, I like, I was like, yeah, I love you too. Like, this is, because it was, like, it felt yeah. like love. It was just yeah. pure infatuation mm. and so fun and, you know, just completely love-formed. Mm. And then I, I ended up calling mum and just, I was scared. And I was like, you need to come and get me. And my mum and dad came and picked me up and we drove down to Barrel for the day. (laughs) Um, And I was like, oh, this is, yeah, I can't be with this person. He's messed up. Like, just saw a really ugly side to him that I hadn't seen. Mm. So it was... Was that hard for you to tell them? No. Mm. No. I'm really close with my parents. I really was really close with them. So, yeah, I had no problem telling them. Um, We had a pretty open relationship. But he was calling the whole time I was away. And you look back on it, (laughs) my parents were like, well, I mean, he's really making an effort here. Like, he's really showing a lot of interest. He's showing remorse. He's saying sorry. Words, lots of words. Knew what to say, how to... to bring you back in yeah move you back in so I was you know when I got back I you know had like a day or two away from him and was just getting all these messages and calls and apology and I'd never had that before I'd had guys be assholes and you just never hear from them again right so for someone to be remorseful I was like okay this is this is relationship this is how we do relationship okay yeah so that was the first part the first First chapter yeah yeah and from there it just got progressively worse Mm -hmm. so it was like that I had seen that ugly side that as time went on it got uglier and uglier and nastier Mm -hmm. and nastier two months in Mm -hmm. and 
you're at your first cycle of repair. What happens yeah. when you come back from bar uh, barrel yeah. and get back together? Huge bunch of flowers mm -hmm. and took me to meet his family. <laughs> say it out loud I'm like oh god of course you did yeah yeah, yeah I'm a good did. guy right mm -hmm. like look at me this is my family I'm a family man I love my mum look at how well I treat my mum you know and did that all that appear normal and healthy and oh so normal right <laughs> this was so well not normal because I'd never experienced it before but they appeared it. to have a good relationship and yeah yeah, I mean, when I think back to it, his mum, she was a zombie and <laughs> I now, she was a zombie. She sat in a chair, she didn't really talk or, like, she was completely removed, strange woman and okay. I, th I think the poor thing has just been... Through a lot herself? Oh, yeah. Um, as a result of him? Mm. Right, okay. Yeah. And was she, were they... Was she married? Yeah, so we had brothers and sisters and nephews and, you know, the parents were together and the family home and, um, you know, it wasn't a... Um, they were like battlers. It was, you know, it wasn't like taking me home to a mansion where everyone's, you know, waltzing around the place mm. eating fucking caviar or something. Like, it was Aussie battler home. Um, working class kind of people but I think it was for someone that was really close to their parents it was good for me and he knew that right and so it was really comforting for me to be like you know okay so he is close with his parents he has a relationship with his brothers and sisters yeah and I can absolutely relate to that yeah yeah it, it paints a, a happy family together healthy kind of dynamic um and give you a sense of security. Yes, that's yeah. exactly what it did. Yeah. That's exactly what it did. And I really can't, you know, it was 10 years ago, so I can't really remember the the ins and outs. Um, but I think because he had seen that, okay, I'm able to behave this way and get her back, that I think he kind of loosened up a bit and his behaviour was, you know, able to get a bit more extreme. He had a big following of females on Instagram that would DM him and put put themselves right out there and... How did you know about that? He would tell me. As in they were hassling him, like what context of telling you or to make you jealous or... So it was, it was done in a way to just be like, oh, my God, did you see how many likes I got on that photo shoot I did with this brand? Like, my God, there was this many and I had, you know... X amount of DMs or whatever and, you know, so it was very much, I didn't realise at the time, but it was very much like, look what you're competing with. This is what I can go to if you think of leaving. It was very much like, it was very transactional mm -hmm. for him. But at the time, I'm not aware of his motives. So I just thought, wow, aren't I lucky to be... It was, it was to make me feel like... You're you number one. Yeah. Like, I've chosen you over all these other opportunities. Yeah. Gotcha. You should be... Privileged. Like, that's... Yeah, yeah. Exactly. What a privilege it was in the end. Yeah. Okay. So when did it uh, take another turn? What did that look like? How long? I mean, it was probably, like, a matter of weeks 
really. It was really, um, when I say the behaviour escalated, it would go from, um, you know, getting really drunk and being verbally abusive and, you know, waking up the next... And it would come out of nowhere. So we could be having the best day in the world or out at a restaurant having a great time and he... I could come back from the bathroom or someone could walk away and he could just look at me and just spit out the most hateful kind of gnarliest shit you've ever heard and be like, whoa. Like it would, it's honestly like he snapped, he'd snap his head and this whip would come out. Right. Publicly even, would it be still covert? Or oh yeah. So yeah, he'd everything. do it in the middle of the bar or the restaurant or, you know, he'd come up and with like, you know, would be at a bar, say, with a, at a party with a whole bunch of people, but he could come up and whisper in my ear and usually it's like a, I love you, like you are the love of my life or something, or it could be you're a fucking slut or right. you piece of shit, you know, just out of nowhere, right. out of absolute yeah. nowhere. Um, oh, I've just got goosebumps. I know that um, feeling of... Uh, a look in the eye or just an energy shift or, you know, as, I mean, that's a very direct way of knowing that something's changed. Yeah. But that, hang on, nothing has happened and then, boom, we've got another person in the room here. Yes. And, um, and exactly it's very confusing. Absolutely terrifying. But you're like, should I be terrified? Because I know this person. Right. Like, I love this person and he loves me. This is not him. What's going on? And that's yes. when the anxiety story played out. And it was, I battle with anxiety. Oh, I have depression. Oh, I'm meant to be medicated, but I can't because it. I don't like the way it makes me feel or, you know, and that all comes out. So then it's my job to look after him, right? And don't put a foot mm. out of line because then I'm going to send him on his... So then it all became about my behaviour. Gotcha. So and you're walking on eggshells to micromanage and ensure that you don't activate another yeah. round of that kind of... Yeah. yeah. So once... I think once I started to see the abusive... Beha- but again, I didn't see it as abuse at the time. I just thought oh, shit, like, oh, my, he must be really drunk. Like, you know, he should maybe drink less or something. I'm making myself out sound really stupid when I talk like that, but I, I, it was just, you just don't say it at the time. You're not, and anyone that's been through this kind of abuse always naturally feels like that, but mm. you're not. It's, it's, it's psychologically confusing and damaging and hard to process. Yeah. One minute loved and the next minute despised. Yeah, and it, and it was... It was this absolute hate that would come out of him mm-hmm. and it started just, you know, very verbal and it was... Um, and if I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be spoken to that way, that's, you know, that's horrible and I'd leave or whatever. I'm not kidding, I'd have probably 100 missed calls and about 75 text messages and they would literally be, you know, pick up, pick up or I'm going to kill myself pick up or I'm going to walk in front of the truck. Like, if I die, it's your fucking fault. Um, I love you. Yeah, <laughs> Come back, I miss you. Mixed message. If you looked at, say, down. 50 minutes, so it would usually be about 50 to, like, 75 texts and it would be, you know, 
you horrible person, how could you leave me? Like, I'm struggling, you know, you're such an insensitive, evil bitch. Like, you know, all of this hate, like you piece of shit to, um, you know, we're going to spend the rest of our lives together. Please come back. I need you. Like, Mm. you know, and then, but I think again, so much confusion because sometimes it was the booze and he'd roll over in the morning and just, he'd have no recollection no recollection of what had happened Mm -hmm. so I think for the first part of it that was such a big thing for me to stay because it's like well he doesn't know what he's doing he doesn't even remember it so there was nowhere for me to really put the blame apart from a binge drinking problem yeah and you're trying to desperately figure out what what this is is it the drink is it the anxiety and you know what the triggers are and how do you support through that because at this point you're invested you're in love Ah. and um you want to give it a go yeah as and so do you think with hindsight though that he didn't know what he was doing when he woke up or do you think that that was the story as well have you ever thought about that I would say sometimes yes sometimes no Mm -hmm. um it obviously was a good excuse for him and became a good Mm -hmm. playing card Mm -hmm. once it saw that it worked on me like Mm -hmm. Oh, you really don't remember? No. Okay, cool. Like, well, never okay, cool. But, you know, like... It was one easy way to sort of brush it under the carpet and... Mm. Or at least, yeah, have reason for the behaviour that you were clearly, you know, not um, allowing him to just walk all over you by, by calling it and getting up and leaving. Um, you were, you know, you were trying to hold strong and have boundaries. Yeah. But, yeah, he found a way to kind of... Yeah. And I think with all of the, you know, and this is all unfolding, say, over a one-year period or whatever, and within that time he's in the background chipping away at ruining work. So I was, you know, showing up at work, hanging around out the front waiting for me to finish so that I wouldn't have any friends, so that I couldn't meet anyone else. Um, You know, doing all those, like, constantly putting you down, Um, but kind of then building you back up, but putting you back down. And it was mm. a slow burn of just chipping away at me mm. until I had zero kind of self-esteem. And every time we did have a fight, you know, like the way he would get me back was because it was my fault. So if he abused me one night, say he threw a drink at the wall behind me so it would smash behind my head or if he flat out just called me a piece of shit or something to my face or, you know, whatever whatever the abuse was for the night. If I left, then it would be he would have a way of turning it around and the narrative became you're really fucked up, you're really messed up, you're crazy. You know, he called me crazy oh, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, no one else is going to put up with that kind of shit Um, You know, I was very... I have a lot of scars from all my surgeries Um, and the treatment, like, my skin's burnt. It's not pretty under my shirt. And so he would also play at that, but not in a you-look-putrid. It would be, you know, I love you even though you look like that, even though you're... And it would... He made me believe, like, I am so lucky to have someone Mm. that doesn't judge me for looking the way that I do and for 
to aren't I lucky that this person's willing to take me back Mm. after I left them when they wanted to kill themselves because I'm a horrible person for leaving someone who's wanting to kill himself, you know. So it was he just had such a phenomenal way um, and he was not an intelligent person. He was dumb as dog shit. Like, he was absolutely dumb as dog shit. There's different types of intelligence. He'd certainly found a way to a coping mechanism for him in life, which was to manipulate at all costs. Mm-hmm. And so he'd figured that out, whatever his trauma was growing up, and he'd figured out how to do that. So there's there's a level of intelligence that comes with that. It's just uh, delivered in a really healthy and dysfunctional and destructive way. Mm-hmm. Um, did you start to believe that you were not worthy? Did you... Did you know what he... Could you kind of sense what he was doing but didn't have the strength yet to leave or did you start to literally believe that you were lucky to be with him? When someone is calling you crazy, calling you a piece of shit, like calling you just, you know, just the worst names under the sun constantly... Of course you start to believe it. And, um, and you know what? I was tired. <laughs> you, I think I can see you nodding in agreement. You just, they wear you down physically as well, where you're like, mm. oh, I actually just can't, I don't have it in me anymore. So, like, how do you leave when you are completely depleted, you know? And, and that's the idea. <laughs> that's part of it. I don't know if you've ever heard, but I read this after one of my relationships, which was that sleep deprivation is actually a tactic. And I was so horrified and realized that that was, I wonder if they consciously knew that that was going on, but that was absolutely what was going on in my most destructive relationship whereby at all cost keep me up and as you know I'm not one for wild nights. Not plus um, eight pm baby. <laughs> I um you know we were sitting down for dinner at ten thirty PM to then, mm-hmm. you know, um you know, then carry on drinking wine until, and I'd be tapped out by this point, but, you know, watching TV and drinking wine to whatever, making sure the TV was very loud so that when I had gone to bed that I couldn't sleep. And so, and I know that that was conscious because it went on so much. So it's, it's, there's that level. And I just kind of wanted to share that because I was so shocked when I actually read that that's actually, you know, a very calculate in some cases very calculated but otherwise the 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 depletion and the fatigue that happens is just it may not be that extreme but it's just that psychological push pull you know absolute mind game mess in the head of what Mm. is going on here that does deplete you um so there's so many levels of it so physically and that and and that can happen on many levels it can be um and just a constant on edge experience so you're basically in fight or flight the entire time yeah. in these relationships Which so your nervous, is, you your nervous system is just ruined. ruined yeah um and so then you're psychologically exhausted and you can't think straight and then that's you know and then you're going to doubt yourself and it's not for them it's absolutely perfect to keep you there to not have the courage or the strength to know 
what's okay and what's not and actually deliver and follow through and stand up for yourself and and scary because you're then recognizing the end of a relationship and you you think you're in love and there's a lot to throw away when you're not sure because you're second guessing yourself as well as just so deeply fatigued yeah which is um I think also with that the hardest part is is the isolation as well and not being able to talk to girlfriends about it. So from the outside, um, his friends and my friends were looking at the relationship like, oh, God, can you guys just break up or get back together? Like just, you know, from outsider's perspective, they didn't know what kind of what was happening behind closed doors, like how terrified I was for my own safety uh, the way he'd talk to me, he'd stalk me, um, turn up wherever I was, all that kind of stuff. Um, they didn't know all those ins and outs and I couldn't tell them because they'd be like, why do you keep going back? Right. But I didn't know how to answer that question. I did not know why I kept coming mm. back. It was mm. it was literally like... becomes like a drug. Yeah. And I, and again, it was, I think I did one girlfriend was like, you're addicted to him. And so while that was pretty accurate, it then also made me feel like, well, that's my fault. That's my addiction that, yeah. So, Mm. um, you know, even at times where I know that I should have called the police for my own safety, I didn't do it because I knew they'd be like, well, why are you here? You know, like, why the hell are you with someone that's threatening to kill you? Why, you know, why are you with someone that hurts you? So I think there was a lot of shame and I was like, you're right, I am addicted to this person. This is, you know, that's disgusting. That's my addiction. That's something that I need to work on. I am just as much to blame, you know, that kind of thing. And when your girlfriends don't know the ins and outs, uh, how dangerous it is and stuff, you know, they can kind of, yeah, you get all different kinds of advice and whatnot. Um, but again, I still, even after uh, like years, I didn't know what kind of relationship I was in. I thought I am that rebellious person. I do have that addictive personality. I just keep making this same bad choice and it was it was very much about me. So you could start to see, yeah, patterns of your own behaviour mm-hmm. that resulted in unhealthy choices, not necessarily regarding men, but then taking it on as this is a you problem. Yeah, 100%. Mm. And, you know, we've got a part to play in, you know, the choices we make, obviously, <laughs> but... Um, it's it when you get involved with people like this this is this is not on us when there are um, you know abusive manipulative tactics playing out you're not operating from that space you're just there with an open heart being willing to have a relationship with this person and they're taking full advantage of you with all of these different coping mechanisms that they've learned in order to keep you nice and close that's not on you that just unfortunately we we can so easily blame ourselves for being caught up in that and that there's it's it's a lot to come to terms with um I can really relate to that so when did you realize that you had to break away there were some 
pretty escalated incidents um, where my life was threatened. Um, I mean, like the behaviour escalated from if I did something he didn't like, he would go out and cheat on me, take a photo, send it to me, that kind of, so that escalated. And then there were two incidents I can think of um, where... Uh, he, we were away on a holiday and we, it was an island and driving around in a golf buggy and he was going really fast down a hill, refusing to brake. That's frightening. That's like to inflict terror yeah. and fear. Yeah. yeah, I've had that. Yeah, so that kind of yeah. reckless. Yeah, very reckless. Um, mm. Just speeding down a hill, screaming at me like, is this what you want? Is this, do we just go now? Is mm-hmm. this, you know, that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And another time of where I actually had to get a knife from the kitchen and I was holding the knife and I was, uh, he was trying to kill me. And so I had the knife and I was like, okay, okay, I can protect myself. Um, And he ended up just kind of smoothing it over, you know, really just, woof, changed, got really charming, really sweet, you know, was able to talk me out of it, dropped the knife, picked me up carried me over to the edge of the balcony and hung me over the balcony. So it was, you know, you do that again. (laughs) Um, And so I had to wait till he fell asleep. So again, he fell asleep holding me. And once he was asleep and snoring, I jumped, left all my shit, jumped up and I ran. Instead of going to the police, I called a cab and went home and ran. (laughs) Right. Again, why would you call the police? So Mm. those kind of incidents were like okay, this is, I didn't tell anyone, um, but I was like, okay, I, oh, shit, this is serious. I'm actually with a dangerous person. Mm -hmm. And I decided to see a psychologist. So I thought, okay, how do I, I need help getting away from this person because I've gotten myself into this habit of coming and going, coming and going, like the most on and off relationship, like how do I break the pattern? I needed help. Did you tell your mum? Or dad about that incident? I think they did know about the one on the island because um, there was no police on the island. There was only a security guard or something. So, again, I had to wait, which didn't work through the night, so I had to wait till they came back on shift early morning. Again, just wait till he fell asleep. You know, by this time he got home and was throwing glasses at me, plates, smashing the joint up had me by the throat up against the wall and I just had to wait again because he's so drunk. I just have to wait till he passes out and then again I left all my shit, bolted and so I had to call my mum and be like, i got to get off this fucking island mm-hmm. um, and so she was able to get me off, put me up on a different place, get me on a flight home, her and dad picked me up from the airport got all my shit from his house, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, But I think they just thought that was like a one-off. I don't know if I went into details, but I was like, oh, he's he's drunk and I don't feel safe. And I didn't say he was speeding in the Mm -hmm. thing and holding me by the neck. Terrorising you. Yeah, so they didn't know the full details. But I went to a psychologist. And she's a legend. And she got to know me first for the first couple of sessions. 
And like, that was a shitload to work through. <laughs> I had a pretty colorful childhood. Yeah. So she actually said, I'd love to meet him. Do you guys want to do like a couple session? I now know she, uh, she made me think it was like a couple's thing. And I was like, Oh, great idea. You know, still had that hope, still had that faith that like, yeah, we can make this work type thing. We can work through his shit. So he came to the session and then, you know, did a session together and she was like, actually, mate, I would love to see you one-on-one. Um, oh, so, you know, Sam, can you go out of the room and kind of played on his level? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it must be hard for you. Like, it must be really tricky having someone that leaves you all the time and, like, he just, like, fed into it. And she's like, why don't you come back? I'd love to do a session just us and, and I can help you through that at the end of that session, she rang me. She never rung me before, right? You just deal with the receptionist. Yeah. And she called and she was like, I've just had a session with you, mate, and I'm actually scared for your life and I need you to... We need to get you away from this person ASAP. How did you feel in that moment? Probably relieved. Mm-hmm. It's like when you don't know what something is and then someone tells you and it's like... Oh. I'm, I'm right that... I'm right to be scared. And that that validation was like, oh, okay. Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't know. If someone's telling you you're crazy or stop being dramatic or stop making shit something it's not or, you know, that didn't happen, that's all in your head, like, or, well, yes, I did sleep with that person because, well, you walked out on me at dinner. Mm-hmm. What did you want? What, what was I meant to? Like... So you kind of, you believe all that shit. Mm. So when it's been said to you over a three-year period, mm. um, so I was kind of relieved and she's like, you know, I want you back here next week and we are going to be doing some one-on shit, mm. one-on-one stuff, work. And um, when I got there, she's like, do you know what a narcissist is? And I was like, oh, like I'd heard the phrase thrown away, like, oh, you're, you're narc or whatever. And I just thought, oh, yeah, like someone who's up himself, you know, someone who's just got like a big ego, full of himself, that kind of thing. Anyway, she basically spent those next sessions educating me what a narcissist was um, and got me into like a, like a, like a chat room almost, like it was a blog Mm-hmm. and we're anonymously yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was blown away by like-minded stories yeah. behaviors I couldn't believe it and she's you know explained what a love bomb is and I was like oh you know a lot of it I felt like a dickhead because I was like oh because you know because then you realize it wasn't real yeah mm. and so that's hard right that's mm. not nice so so whilst you're on this online community and you're seeing your psychologist once a week you've you've left him and where are you living at this point are you safe are you Um, are you are you somewhere where he doesn't know where you are uh not I did get to that stage but I wasn't there yet you think I would be (laughs) right Right. so there was still some emotion oh love there is still more to come (laughs) there was at that point you know, the heart, like you said, there were so many different emotions finding out what I was dealing with. And one of them was relief. That was the hugest one to be like, okay. But then, you know, there was kind of like the grief of, um, the grief of, 
letting go of something that wasn't real, right? Mm. And thinking I'd found love for the first time at the ripe old age at 27 and I actually wasn't. Um, and then it was, again, because I didn't know, obviously not my mentality now, and it's what I want other women to know. It's like you've done nothing wrong. But at that time I thought, what if, like, what did I do to deserve that? Like I must have been, like, so damaged to attract a person like that, mm-hmm. you know, and I know women I, and that's my biggest thing about why I wanted to come on and talk to you today is I don't, you know, you could be the most successful woman and you, and you, we hear it now right but 10 years ago it mm. wasn't talked about mm. and so we know now that you could be you know the single mum struggling or you could be the CEO of some amazing company like no matter what kind of woman you are yeah. no one does anything wrong to attract this yes. type of person yeah. but I think when you're in that moment and you're just discovering, I did go to that place mm-hmm. where I was like, well, you know, I did have a pretty um, rough upbringing, this kind of person, not rough upbringing, I'm very, very loved. My parents loved me. They spent their whole life working their asses off to provide for us. But um, I grew up around a lot of drugs and a lot of... Within your community and school and... Yeah, you know, it was... I didn't grow up behind a white picket fence. Like, I was very... I grew up very quick, saw a lot of shit. I was very aware of stuff that kids shouldn't be aware of. Older brothers. Older brothers, you know, there's a lot of drugs around and um, a lot of crime and, you know, all that sort of thing. So I thought, oh, well you know, I am a bit trash. I kind of suit someone like this, you know, that's kind of where I went. Mm. And it's just so not fair. Like mm. it's, yeah, I know now that that's not, mm. um, the case. Mm, like, yeah. And perhaps self-worth stuff hadn't really been worked on in terms of what your value was. You probably hadn't even stopped to to think about that. And God, no. yeah, especially like, you know, twenties are what a shit time your twenties were. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you weren't married and not knowing who the hell you were, you were single, running around like a headless chook, mm-hmm. not knowing what the fuck to do or where to go or mm. or whatever. So um, I really had, yeah, it was. I had no direction. I had no idea where I was. I'd just been through cancer, which just flips you upside down. And then to be with someone for that amount of time that just chips, 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 mm. chips away, like, yeah. So when you you would kind of think, okay, so you've seen the psychologist, great, we're on our road to recovery. I really probably hit rock bottom and it was, that was like a whole new journey to start. And I can't, I can't remember how long I stayed away from him but I know that I did go back to him again which is and again the shame that comes with that is like what like you know like after the incident on the island you know all the time that I had to hold a knife because I he was going to come kill me like Mm. how do you go back so again Mm. the self hate a shame embarrassed couldn't tell anyone yeah Yeah. and oh you guys I'm seeing a psychologist he's actually a narcissist like everyone would be like great good finally she's getting somewhere we're not going to go back there 
oh, I'm actually back with him. You know, so you start start burning your bridges with people. You know, friends kind of get Jack up here in the same story and... And if they haven't had an experience, they don't know how to hold space for it because they have no experience with it, if they haven't had an experience with anyone like this. So um, that is only why they get fed up is because it just it doesn't make sense but it doesn't make sense when you're in it either even when you know that you're doing the thing that you know you shouldn't be doing you do it anyway um yeah I've been there we've been conditioned and it's a cycle and it's Mm. but that love bombing experience and hoovering back in is extremely powerful and it's addictive it's really that simple hoovering Hoovering is um the stage where um, I guess it's a cycle where love bomb, they make you feel loved and special and it's over the top, you know, then it starts to deteriorate and the abuse might start to creep in. Then you might potentially get um, to the point where you remove yourself or they discard you and then the hoovering is drawing you back in with some ah, sort of form okay. of te- tactic, whatever that might look like. Um and it might be actually out of, you know, even a tactic of no one else is going to love you. Who would have you? No. You're not attractive anymore. No. Your scars are blah, blah, blah. No. Um, but I love you. Um, so, and I've had that um, with my own experience, um, you know, with, with those sensitive aspects or deeply personal or private parts of ourselves that we're potentially insecure about mm. that they target and use against us and to make them make us feel like they'll be the only ones that will love us for that part of ourselves that we might be shameful about. Yeah. So that's a hoovering phase and then you're back in and then the love bombing starts and then and each time you do a cycle it deteriorates and the abuse yes. the abuse increases, a de- deterioration of sense of self-worth and what have you deteriorates within yourself and you are just worn away until there's very left left to fight with. See, if I heard this 10 years ago, <laughs> that would have been great. But I didn't know it at the time and I just no. thought, oh, fucking hell, get your shit together, you know? Like, mm. how can you not break out of this cycle with a psychopath? What is wrong with you? Like, mm. get your shit together, mm. you know? Not knowing that there's actual names for these, these types of behaviours and, yeah. you know, like... And I and it's and sometimes I wonder if there's purpose and point to naming these behaviors but it just it it, it connects us it makes us like as we're talking we go oh I've had that experience it's it's individual how it's you know how it um, presents itself or how it's um, delivered Mm. it might not be the exact same you know use of words and it can be subtle or it can be really overt but I, I think there's a sense of oh there's okay there's an experience that we're all having, you know, when we've had this, that, okay, I've had that. I, you know, I feel um, I can relate and, you know, so the terms are useful for that, but otherwise it's all quite a lot of destructive, unhealthy behaviour and, you know, we can call them narcissists or we can call them psychopaths or sociopaths and, and, and again, you know, there's a level of understanding when you know what that that is but also does it really matter because ultimately we've got to come back to what experience are we having yeah 
how is our life looking and feeling for us right now? Yeah. Names aside of was he a narcissist because there's, pe- there's a spectrum. Yes. You know. You can see narcissistic <laughs> behaviours or traits in people, right? We've all got them yeah. to a degree, oh, shit, yeah. you know, and but then there's, you know, ex- obviously when you're seeing extreme abuse and extreme yeah. behaviours, you know that you're dealing with something on another level and it might very well be that they're that person. And again great to recognize oh my gosh that's what I'm dealing with but at the end of the day again doesn't matter all I know is that all of that is not healthy and potentially dangerous and and certainly in your case extremely dangerous so what was what was the clincher what was the the reason for you finally making a break away the clincher I got pregnant (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. um, and okay. it wasn't his right. <laughs> so, I remember telling mum I was like hey like, mum and I are really close and I'm like oh, I'm pregnant and she was like <gasps> and her first question was was it is it his Yes. Um, because I think that's what she was terrified of mm-hmm. and I was like no it's not just some other random so because we were so on and off I um, was trying to meet other people. Ah, okay. So you were having breaks even towards, obviously, at the end. Yeah. You were having significant time apart. Yeah. Out of interest, had he ever talked to you about having a child together? Oh, yeah. Had he tried to make that happen? Um, He had... (laughs) I'm surprised it didn't because he had such a high sex drive. Like, it's just... Mm -hmm fucking disgusting when I think about it now Mm. how sexual it was Mm. Uh, and I think that was a tool that he used uh, as well to kind of keep you there because you know that kind of attention and you know Mm. effort was just not common Mm. Um, I'm actually surprised I didn't because it was that was always the picture that he painted Uh, He knew that I always, even though I was not ready in my 20s, I had always wanted to be a mum, always wanted to get married, do the family thing and Uh, stuff. So he knew that story for you? Yeah, yeah. So we probably hadn't been together for about two months and um, I was just on the dating scene and had an opsidaisy and fell pregnant. Right. And I remember just thinking, I have to tell him. Like, I'm going to have to tell him. And when I did, when I picked up the phone to call him, he thought that was just our normal cycle of we're getting back together Um, because that's just what we did. And um, he came around and um, I had to tell him and it was perfect for him (laughs) because this time I was the one that fucked up. So it had been three years of him physically hurting me, emotionally hurting me, um, cheating on me, like threatening me, all of this stuff. And then finally I am the one that fucked up and it was very visible when you're walking around with a basketball shoved up your shirt, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was a visual shame. It was... You could paint a story of the type of person that you were. It was so good for him Mm -hmm. and it was so perfect for him What he believed you to be. Yeah. A narrative, sorry. It wasn't what you were. 
narrative. Yeah, so I was yeah. a slut and, you know, I was the one that did this to him. Um, you know, how could you do this to me? That's we were meant to have a child, you know. The victim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Of course. Um, so that was like such a bonus for him. And I thought that would be the end. I thought I wasn't telling him to be the child's father. I was telling him to be like, our time's actually done. Like, yeah, I'm going to be having this child on my own and got full support from my family who are amazing. And, um, we're actually done. And I was like chuffed, like, it's fine. Um, was not expecting him to turn around and say, um, well, this is my child. And wow. <laughs> it starts again. And the, you know, so after he'd spent the time of shaming me, making me feel guilty, slutty, you know, by this time I'm 30, by the way. I'm not mm-hmm. like a 17 year old schoolgirl, mm-hmm. full grown woman that really wanted to have a child. Um, he, um, turned it around so that, well, no one's ever going to love you now. No one is ever going to date you with a kid. Um, we'll get married straight away. Um, I will be this child's father. You'll give it my last name. And once, as soon as you have this baby, we'll have another baby. And wow. Yeah. And I was, again, I was so confused and now the next level vulnerable because I'm pregnant and I had this person that was like well you don't have to move home to your parents and be this single parent living out in the burbs you know like I'll save you right and so he was my savior and it was um and I told my parents and my dad being a really he was a really traditional dude um he had you know quite strong traditional values, very conservative man. And for for this person to be like, I want to marry your daughter and I'm going to take this kid on, he thought it was like the most noble thing that mm-hmm. he had heard of mm-hmm. and was just like, wow, like, yeah. you know. And so that's what we thought. And so this person was actually present in my pregnancy. And that's difficult to talk about because I am so, like, cannot believe it. Like, I feel really ashamed and and yucky. That's probably the only part of the whole relationship is that I allowed him back into my life when I was pregnant and should have been protecting Mm. this person. Um, And it actually went okay for a while until it didn't (laughs) and then um he drank too much and um I woke up in night at through the night covered in vomit he'd vomited all over me vomited all over the house um yeah I had to try I was heavily pregnant having to drag him into the shower and it was all the abuse in the world you can think of, you know, just spitting at me, like calling me everything under the sun. And then I was like, oh, okay. Like that actually was like, okay, that we're done now. Um, He knew we had to take some space and break up. I I had finally, (laughs) after three years, 
got a bit more strategic. So instead of running out the door and fleeing and turning my phone off so that I wouldn't have 100 missed calls, um, I was a bit more strategic and realised, oh, okay, I'm going to have to play my way out of this one. So it was how about we focus on getting your drinking in order because the baby's about to come any day now type thing, any week. I uh, was right at the end and, you know, you can come and see the baby and all this sort of stuff. And so he actually met the baby, the baby, my my child, when it was like a couple of days old and it was... You know, I was really playing the game with him. I'd still talk to him every day. I was really pandering to him. I was really faking it big time, playing really calm, like, are you okay? This must be hard for you not being with me at the moment, but we will be together. It'll be okay. Um, And what I ended up doing was moving two and a half hours away, changing my phone number and pulled the pin just one day gone yeah yeah it's a survival uh, mechanism that you you click into at the end I think when you realize that you start when you know that you're starting to become strategic you're in survival mode how do I get out uh and away and as safely as possible so it sounds like you'd realize that that's what you needed to do how interesting as well that took pregnancy Mm. and to someone else for it to finally be over because I wonder how long it could have gone on for. Forever. It could have gone on forever had you not then gone into your needing to protect this child, those motherly instincts coming into play. Like, okay, it's time to to care for my child and for myself because I'm not safe here. So... Did that feel heartbreaking when you left or did you just realise, did something drop in and you just realised, no, it's, it's, it's just what, it's a matter of survival and I just need to do this. You, the heartbreak had been processed already or? There was no heartbreak at all, none, mm. none whatsoever. There was, <clears throat> I don't think I even felt any hate towards him. I think because it had been going on for so long, a lot of those feelings had already been experienced and felt and dropped off. And you were, you were working with a psychologist to yeah. move through that and recognise what you were dealing with. Yeah. So And then I think when you physically have the baby and you are by yourself and you are up you know, with a kid that doesn't eat or sleep Mm -hmm. 24-7, everything else just doesn't matter and I just didn't give a shit anymore and Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it didn't, I don't know, I just, I was ready and I honestly, like, yeah, having my son, it was 100% what saved my life, Mm -hmm. definitely. Mm -hmm. Blessing. Yeah. Amazing. And he didn't know where you were living. You were able to completely remove yourself from go no contact in regards to social media and and friends and yeah completely we didn't have cause you didn't have any concern for your safety at that point when you um I certainly did but um did he try and track you down after leaving no because he just moves on to someone else right so oh, you got discarded very very quickly mm-hmm. and um and then he had the most amazing story to share with people about 
what his horrible ex-girlfriend did about how it would have been I cheated on him and got pregnant to someone else and, Mm -hmm. you know, took the baby away from him and, you know, all that. So he had this fantastic story to run with to make Mm. him look like the biggest legend. That was an easy one for him. It was great. Um, But, no, he moved on very, like he would move on the next day type thing. So he couldn't... He couldn't be alone without a female for a day. So if I turned up on his doorstep after fleeing and I moved away and then I called and was like, hey, this is actually where I live now. Can you come and get me? Can you come and see me? He would have dropped whatever he was Mm. with at that time and come running back. The only thing that was going to... um, break was to be distanced long enough for him to fall in love you know sure as I say loosely Mm. to have the next person that he has control over how did your recovery go did you continue to see psychologists and how long I mean an experience like that never really leaves you but you you get to a point like you are today where you you know, you're able to talk about it with a sense of, like, you see it for what it is, you you understand it, you've processed, you've, you've done a lot of healing to be able to let go, move on, um, have compassion for yourself, have compassion for, for them potentially or not, but, you know, to a degree where it's, it's, it's an old story. But how long did that take you to, to move through? Um, I mean... To be able to talk this openly about it, I don't know if I have before I met you, you know, this year, this is 10 years on. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is because I couldn't talk about something that I didn't understand. And it's taken time to understand what went on, Mm -hmm. like what actually happened. I think you kind of block out some of those traumatic events that happened and as a matter of survival. Mm -hmm. And I think just time, I didn't go on any gnarly healing journey at all. It wasn't a conscious healing. And I think that was just age and maturity. Like if I, I'm in a beautiful relationship now, but if I wasn't and I was to go through something similar at this age, my healing would be very conscious and it would Mm. be very, um, purposeful where this was, I didn't even know what the hell had just happened. It was three years in a washing machine and I came out dizzy. (laughs) And then you're a new mother. So your focus went into just being... A hundred percent. But I knew that I had no self-esteem left, no self-worth. And it was really just time that healed. And with time came clarity and I was able to recognise what happened. Mm. And these things are more openly talked about now, so you've probably heard other people's stories along the way. Totally. Giving you some sense. Listening to podcasts, (laughs) like listening to other podcasts, and it's like, oh, my God. Like just to hear people have experienced similar and just, and this is what I love about what you're doing, it's sharing stories and just feeling that sense of you know a community of people that have had similar feelings and experiences and yeah it's good with each new conversation a different part of your story drops in too and you might you know you've said something today and it's 
you know, reminded me of that part of my story that I'd maybe forgotten about and and vice versa. Oh, that happened to you too. Oh, my God, yeah. me too. Different but same. Yeah, and that's... Um, with that comes the the healing. Absolutely. And that's definitely, like, if someone's thinking, well, how the hell do I heal? You know, for me it was time, but also, yeah, sharing, talking, um, that that is healing. That mm. is therapy. It mm. doesn't have to be with a psychologist. Yeah. Just sharing what happened is, you know. Yeah. We had this experience and yeah. it's made us who we are today and, you know, you've you know, moved on and, and um, created a, a life um, for yourself that, you know, you are, I'm sure you should now feel really proud of. Yeah. And you've got a great sense of humour. <laughs> and all of that's really important when, <laughs> when you talk about these stories. I think, you know, there's so many layers to them, but I think it's important to be able to have a, a laugh and at least get to that point where, you know, it's it's a bit crazy, but um, yeah, you know you can see it for what it is, and and you're out the other side. Yes. Oh, so far out the, the other side. side. Yeah. So, what what? Just one last question. If you were to meet and chat to a friend who was maybe sounding like they were having a similar relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were having in the beginning of yours, and maybe saw that first red flag. I mean, you're not one for holding back. <laughs> Just ask my boyfriend. <laughs> um, you know, what would you say to plant the seed? Because it is hard for people to come to terms with, and we don't always know exactly what's going on for them, but what, what advice would you give to someone if you recognise that, oh, this is sounding a bit familiar and you're seeing a red flag? Or Yeah, I mean, like you said, if I see a red flag, I'll I'll call it and wave it in front of your face <laughs> and be like, look at this shit. Um, right. No, I, I honestly, I don't know because everyone's experience is so, so, so different mm. and there's varying levels of extremes and, mm. and, you know, different dynamics different things to consider and stuff but um there's been a lot of gems that you've shared today anyway absolutely um but I think you know one of the one of the things that we could say is oh like I've had a similar experience or that sounds similar to this relationship it might be even just as subtle as that sharing you know so that they know oh you know maybe when they're ready for it that they come can come back around and so you don't, you don't know what you're going to say and, unless you're in that moment. Mm. Um, but, again, I think it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been there. If you're just... good with those gentle prompts. That's not my forte. <laughs> so maybe if I come across someone that is in this circumstance, I'll just shoot them your way <laughs> and bypass my brutality. Sure, go for it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so yeah. much. Um, truly um, honoured for you to be um, on the shared road and to have the courage and to share your story and and to share it with me. Really, for the first time, if you've you've not um, openly expressed that to many in the last ten years, I really no, I haven't. I really honour that. So thank you so much, Sammy. Thank you for what you're doing. It's, it is so good. I just, 
it's great, like, listening to your first episode and I was like, good, this is a, these are important conversations because mm. for me my biggest thing was awareness. I didn't know mm. what it was. I didn't know other people were, you know, so mm. I just wanted to share my story and hope that so- it gives someone the insight to be like, oh, that shit's not okay or, oof, that is a red flag or, you know what, I can I can leave, you know. Um, so keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, my darling. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to The Shared Road. My intention for this is to become a place of support, community and hope through shared stories from my brave and open-hearted guests. If you'd like further information regarding personalised support, and mentoring to navigate these varied complex experiences, please go to at meditationbase or meditationbase.com.au. Please share, follow and leave a review so I can continue to reach as many people in need as possible. Thank you so much.